0: You don't have to be on one solitary journey. We put too much pressure on ourselves to function. We create boxes and glass ceilings for ourselves because we're like, oh, this is the only way I can be, and that's how you are successful. There's no black or white in the world. Everyone lives in greys.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you that come back every week to listen, learn and grow. And I'm so excited to be talking to you today. And I'd love to invite you to come and see me for my global tour, Love Rules. Go to jshedytour.com to learn more information about tickets, VIP experiences, and more. I can't wait to see you this year. Today's guest is someone that I've been looking forward to interviewing for a very long time. I believe that she was actually one of the first names on my list when I launched the podcast two years ago of someone that I was really excited to sit down with. So to me, this is a super special moment, and I think you're in for a real treat. Today's guest is the one and only Priyanka Chopra, and today we're talking about her new memoir, Unfinished. For the two people who are listening who don't know who Priyanka is, Priyanka is an actor, singer, and film producer. She's been in the entertainment industry for over 20 years that spans both the East and West. Her Bollywood superstardom began when she won Miss World 2000 and she hasn't slowed down since. From starting her own production company and now having so many successful hit movies and TV shows in the US, and of course, most recently, marrying her beloved Nick Jonas, Priyanka's story is remarkable to say the least, and you can pick up her book, Unfinished, on February 9th. Please welcome to the show on purpose Priyanka Chopra. Jonas.
0: Thank you. It's all right. Uh, Everyone forgets that. (laughs) Sorry, Nick. (laughs) Sorry, Nate. You know, it's it's a it's a new addition, and um, it's you know I've had 35 years of my life as just Priyanka Chopra. Most people know me as just that, so you know it's going to take a second. It's fine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I, and I've been watching you for so many years since I was since I was a kid, and obviously you were you were a kid too uh, when when you started in the industry, and so I've been hearing your name and saying your name for so long. Uh, but no, no offense, Nick. My wife is also the same. She she has her <laughs> she has my name last on her name too. So people forget me all the time. Uh, so we have something in common. Uh, but, but it's
0: not really forgetting you, Jay. It's forgetting your last name. There's true, a difference.
1: True. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. That that makes my my ego feel a bit better. Uh, but honestly, it's it's such a joy to have you here. I meant what I said when we first launched the podcast. You were you were one of the first names that I wrote down as someone that I was excited to speak with. And I saw a few days ago on Instagram, you posted a picture of yourself at age 17. And it was, it was a great throwback. <laughs> and, and I was wondering two things. The first thing is, what is a piece of advice that you wish you had at 17? And the other way around, is there a piece of advice or wisdom that your 17-year-old self would potentially share with you now uh, where you are today?
0: Yeah, I have actually answers for both. Um, what I would tell that 17-year-old, you know, I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I'd just been selected into the Miss India pageant. I'd just turned 17. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be a model. And I'd never thought about that. My teenage vanity was piqued. And um, what I would have told that girl is, you know... Um, just breathe and just chill a little. I was very hard on myself because everything that I sort of, everything that I've made so far, you know, with the encouragement of my family has kind of been self-made, you know, i I had to learn on the job. Nobody, I didn't know anything. I came from in high school in an engineering background, um, or I wanted to be an engineer. Um, And life just kind of had other plans. And, you know, you kind of, are you going to swim? Are you going to sink? And I will always swim. So I've just kind of, it's, I think that what I would tell, I used to really take it very seriously. I berated myself a lot and I was hard on myself. And I would tell my younger self, chill out. Time heals everything. It'll all be fine. And what she would probably tell me is to not get caught up in, Um, in my schedule and in the multiple things that I juggle and not forget the excitement um, of doing what I'm doing. Sometimes it's hard, you know, after you do it for such a long time, um, you have to remind yourself to be excited and be inspired and, you know, feel sort of alive instead of it being a job. And, um, yeah, I think that's what she would tell me.
1: I love that. That's a beaut- both of those are beautiful answers, and I wanted to ask that to you because I think often we think like, oh, we have the wisdom now and we can advise our younger selves. But in the way you shared your answer, there's there's so much wisdom coming back, and and I think that's a great reminder for everyone now. I saw a video again on your Instagram where you just received the book a couple of days ago. I had the digital version up until this morning when I finally uh, got the physical version. So I've been uh, flicking through on the digital version. It's nice to have it physically here. I, I'm intrigued that, you know, what chapter of your life, you spoke about excitement there, what chapter of your life was the most exciting to reflect and write upon? because it's such a fascinating thing to, to write a memoir. Uh, but which one, which part of it was your favorite of going through?
0: Um, my childhood, because I hadn't thought about it for a really long time. You know, I was, in fact, just writing the memoir was so healing and weirdly um, sort of inspiring and healing. And I, I just remember never remembering, you know, I sat down to write it and I had never <laughs> thought about what had happened in my life. I never looked back. I was only running, you know. Um, as you know, um, the entertainment business, our jobs are very transitory, you know. It's not consistent. It's not stable. What You are uh, as much as your next job. You don't know where your next check's coming from. You don't know where you're going to be moving. Um, so, you know, there's a constant, like, hustle, and you're running all the time. And I just never looked. And um, when I started writing the book, I was forced to look, and I was very excited to write about my childhood because I could taste it, I could smell it. I, I remember um, those mogra flowers, the ratki rani that used to be in all the army barracks. I remember, um, you know, the feeling of the the cold walls, they used to always be white, the garden, my bike, um, moving to a new city every two years. It was, that was it was such an um a time of adventure for me and a time of sort of unlimited possibilities you know um and i was raised with that my parents always made me feel like i could the world is my oyster you know i can go anywhere i want um and that was such a time of wonder you know
1: yeah well it's it's beautiful that you have such strong vivid memories and it sounds like and and i'm thinking about our audience that's listening and watching or or we'll listen and watch this afterwards, it sounds like everyone needs to revisit their childhood or remember and and write a memoir. Even if it's not a memoir that gets published and goes out to the world, it almost feels like reflecting is really important. What, what helped you? Were you speaking to friends from back then or were you speaking to your, you know, who, who are you connecting with to, to reignite some of those memories?
0: Oh, everyone in the memories. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I called... My mom, my brother, um, my cousins who I grew up with, friends from the time, I corroborated the stories because memory is a weird thing, you know? I remember it a certain way. Somebody else remembers (laughs) it a certain way. And there was this one story I remember. I was kicked out of MoMA for touching a painting when I was 15, 16 or something. (laughs) And I remember that day being wonderful because we went to the Statue of Liberty after and like, you know, um, we we got hot dogs and we were walking around New York City and I remember it being like, oh, I touched, you know, a painting that's so cool that I touched, I think it was a starry night and (laughs) my cousins who were with me remember the day completely differently. They were tortured, embarrassed. My cousin was an art student. She was like, you got me kicked out of MoMA and like, I was like, wow, I didn't remember that at all. (laughs)
1: What was that's brilliant was that your was that your rebellious side or was that a mistake or was it curiosity what, I was just curious curious <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just I feel like rules sometimes and trust me I mean I'm in a public profession I have to follow them but um you know sometimes we conform to rules that just sort of stop our ability to grow and Unless it's like hurting someone or something, which by touching Starry Night, I probably was hurting the <laughs> painting. Um, but at that time, I didn't know. Well, the value of the painting—the um, value but- of
1: the painting just went up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it just went up. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like otherwise, I think like you've got to sometimes you have to push the envelope. There's been too many generations that have been defined by what people think. You know, we can achieve or. You know limitations that have been imposed because of people not being able to think or dream big enough, um, and I think it's every generation's responsibility to show the endless possibilities to the next.
1: Yeah, you've definitely done that. I mean, you're you're constantly breaking rules in in your career and your journey, starting from touching that painting at MoMA all the way through today. But t- was that was that an energy and a mindset that you believe you had at that young age? Or is that something you think you gradually developed? Where did that confidence come from? Because when I hear you say it today, it comes with confidence. Obviously it comes with having done it. And I think there are a lot of people out there who may feel that way, but they then also feel insecure that are they the right person to do that? Do they have permission to do that? There's there's something that then still holds them back. What was it for you that allowed you to go all the way?
0: Well, two things. Um, My parents, for sure. I grew up in an environment where I was not shamed for my ideas. Um, At 12 years old, I told my parents I wanted to live in America with my aunt. And, you know, my parents were like, bye, peace. You know, it was fine. (laughs) We had a logical pro and con conversation. I was raised sort of to have opinions, even if the room was hostile. Um, So I think that really gave me a sense of self. And I think it's really important in parenting for us to treat our children like they're developing their own minds because that's so important for them to have a sense of self and feel like, you know, they're not robots, but they're actually thinking and they have a say in their decisions. It really lends for adults being able to have a sense of confidence. And second, to really understand and accept that confidence is not something you always need. You don't, you know, so put it in a backpack. It's okay. Give it a break. Let it be in your purse, let it be in your wallet. Let it chill for a second, feel insecure, feel like scared, feel afraid, feel vulnerable. Um, but when you need the confidence and you walk into that room, you'll have it. Cause you didn't keep using it. You didn't need to constantly have a you know, cover of, or um, sort of like a uniform of confidence. You don't have to always show confidence. You don't have to exude confidence. You never, you don't. You just have to pull it out when you need it. And then when it's in the reserve, it's so much more powerful because you're allowing yourself to be all the things. I feel insecure. I'm terrified that this book is coming out. It's the first time (laughs) I've ever written. And I've never been so personal in my whole life. I've been a public person for 20 years. Never scratched beneath the surface. I've gotten away with sharing whatever I wanted to share about my life and not more, you know. My stories... People think they know it, but they really don't. And I've managed that for 20 years. But I think I, now on the other side of 35, was feeling a sense of confidence um, and a sense of self in my capabilities, in what I bring to the table. It only took 20 years for me to get there, but I got there. Um, And I think all those insecurities that I address in my book don't scare me that much anymore as they did at that time as you know they worried me and I was like I don't want to talk about it nobody needs to know about my life and you know but now I'm at a place where I'm just like well it's still on my terms and um, you know I'm hoping that people maybe get to know me a little bit more than a fashion meme or a headline or something like
1: that. Yeah, I I think that's what I love about it. From the few pages that I've I flicked through, I definitely see you allowing yourself, and that's that's the power of a book, though. And so I I relate to that insecurity. My first book came out last September. And, and I know, and and we I know was know
0: your first book.
1: I was so I have it. I was so oh, that's awesome! I'm so glad you have it. I was I was so nervous, so I can I know, I know what you mean by that, and especially for you at this stage in your career. Of yours is a memoir. Mine had part stories. It wasn't a memoir, so I can only imagine. But Terrifying. I see you doing that, and and books are so powerful for that, and that's why I really hope everyone who's listening and watching right now, if you're enjoying this conversation, go and pick up the book because. I do think that media, the news, the the short meme, the clip, it portrays such a limited view of of someone like yourself and It's a superficial here,
0: view really. Yes. And you yeah. and it's okay, it's a choice also. I yes. I want to for people to consume only a part of me, you know. I want to yes. be able to preserve my humanity my family my life my opinions i may have chosen a public profession but i'm not an elected official i don't <laughs> yeah. owe an explanation to anyone for the choices that i make you know i'm here mm-hmm. to create work i'm i'm doing a job just like everybody else mine happens to be in entertainment and it happens to have a lot of cameras on my face it's fine you know i made a i made that deal with the devil so i've i've kind of made peace with the fact that I I prefer it being from a distance. Um, Mm. But at the same time, I think now I've been a public person for more than half my life. It's my normal. And only now have I reached a point where I'm allowing the walls to sort of fall down and letting whoever wants to know me get to know me as the person that I am. Before that, I was very protective of who I was because maybe I was insecure about who I was or I was I still didn't have a sense of self I don't know but I think in the journey of life I've reached a place where you know I'm i am good with who I am
1: so yeah <laughs> what, what's that's wonderful to hear by the way and, it, and and I can feel it off your energy what's the part of yourself in this book that you share that you think most people are going to be surprised by where you think that people may just be like what Like, and I'm sure there's many but, but what's something that stands out
0: um <laughs> <laughs> it's it, there there are a few um which i think people may be surprised by that i was vulnerable enough to discuss um and um i think my my failures my struggles rejections um sadnesses that um i've never really people have never seen i always wear a brave front most women in like you know, tough jobs, have to always have, like, a little bit more of a stronger front um, to be taken seriously. I built that very early um, at 18 to be thrown into the limelight of this job. I mean, you know it. You've been in it for such a long time. You know, it's, it's a crazy profession, the expectations, the pressure, um, you know, to deliver under that scrutiny, um, to be artistic, to yet have a point of view, to be unique, not, you know, have your own trajectory because that's the only way it'll work. You, you have to always have a sense of evolution. So it was really, really scary in, in the beginning. And um, I think everything just changes with time. And this was one of the good changes that came out of it for me.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I'm hoping that, I, I wonder, do you think that's changing now? if someone's coming into the entertainment industry today at 18, or do you think it hasn't changed? Where's your perception on that when you're guiding young artists or seeing people that you follow on social media or, you know, whatever it may be, are you, are you feeling it's changing? Has it improved or, or no? The pressure, you mean? Uh, not the pressure, more the, like you were saying, like you, when you came into the industry, you had to put on a brave front. You had to wear that face. It was the only way to survive. Do you feel it's the same now for young talent as well?
0: Um, I th- I think, well, I was talking about definitely as a female. Yes, in, yes, in as a female. In the entertainment business. Yeah. Oh, as a female. Yes. Okay. Um, I think so. I think, um, you know, um, it, it's still hard when you're starting out for women to be taken seriously, for your ideas to be given the kind of credence that um, a man's would as quickly, probably, mm-hmm. you know, um, especially in professions where, you do, you know, normally you don't see women because, you know, women have never been pushed in that direction mm. or women have never wanted to go in that direction because it was never normalized for them, that their ambitions could go in that direction. Business, politics, um, you know, to be heads of companies, um, engineering, like, you know, coding, uh, policymaking, like stuff like that, lawyers, women have just about in the last few generations been coming to the fore and, you know, are standing neck to neck with guys, but it's still an anomaly. It's still Mm. not as normal in terms of numbers. It's still not equal. So until that happens, I think it will be hard for, um, you know, young girls to be taken seriously when they come into professions that are predominantly male. Um, But it's okay. Um, You know, women before us have fought the fight and women after us will fight the fight. It'll just hopefully not be the same fight. Mm. Hopefully our generation will not let our kids inherit our problems, you know, Mm. Um, as women. um, We are definitely working in that direction, but I think as the world needs to sit up and take notice that this demand is loud because it's a requirement. This demand is loud because that's what's right and that is the reflection of the world women are 50 percent of it and we should be reflected in um you know every area and basically feminism is that right like don't decide for me what i should be doing when i should be doing it and how i should be doing it yeah just like men have had that freedom give me that yeah as well so I
1: guess it's that. <laughs> it's a strong message. Sorry, we
0: deviated completely. No, 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 you're not
1: deviating at all. It's a strong message and I stand by it. So it's, uh, it's a great message. And and it, it's really interesting where male privilege is a really interesting thing to reflect on. I remember when I first started reflecting on it it, was a, it, it started to strike me in a crazy way that I grew up having had certain dreams of becoming something that my sister couldn't have had. And and that wasn't because of the way we were parented. It was because of what you saw. And, and when that really hit me and I stood and looked at that, and I often encourage a lot of my friends in that direction too. I'm like, if you really think about if they have a son and a daughter, I'm like, if you really think about some of the options that don't seem available to your daughter that she may never consider a career. And I really think that that consideration is where the equality is, like the opportunity of even having that idea Of I could do that, or I could exactly
0: the opportunity of of having choice. I think you know a lot of women. We are. I'm. I am extremely privileged that I was raised by a feminist. I'm married to a feminist. Um, I'm extremely privileged that my parents, which is why I I brought up parenting Mm -hmm. um, earlier. A big reason I have a sense of confidence, and I'm on this side. This side of the fight because. Um, it's not as hard as it is on so many women around the world. I still had to fight. Of course, I had to break down the doors and I had to, you know, prove a point to be taken seriously. I was kicked out of movies and replaced and, you know, all the things. But... I still had it so much easier. There are women around the world that don't have a say in their life that are married off when you know other people decide that people choose who they are married to, whether they can work or not, when they should have children, what kind of children they should have. I mean it's that basic um, that basic freedom that such a large part of the world, because of how norms of society, were archaically, you know, noxious norms which need to change, and that doesn't mean giving up culture. That doesn't mean giving up tradition. You know, it just means creating opportunity. My father told me when I was very, very young. My mom, since I was nine years old, you will have financial independence before anything you do. It doesn't matter whose daughter you are. It doesn't matter, um, you know, who you're married married to. You'll stand on your own feet, and there's such a power to that. Um, to having, you know, to be raised by parents who put that in my head. So I was ambitious from 12 years old. I decided every year what I wanted to be and it changed every year. <laughs> I,
1: I, I love hearing that. And I've, I, it reminded me of something you've said before when you were speaking about your father there about how uh, Nick for you shares this same admiration of your power and, and your ambition and and feels you know, supportive and excited and enthusiastic about the way you carry yourself. Tell us a bit about how, I, I feel like that's such an important thing for both them, anyone in a relationship to feel like their partner is inspired by their values, their beliefs and their dreams. What has it felt like in the past where you feel like you haven't had that? And if someone who's listening or watching is feeling like maybe I don't have that, how does how how do you think someone can navigate that or to ultimately attract the partner that that does have that? What's that journey like? Because I think a lot of people feel like they're with someone who may not understand or get their dreams, especially when they're starting out.
0: Then it's the wrong person for you and if you have the um especially if you're starting out and you know you're testing the waters and I think it's so crucial if you have a choice in your life to end up with someone who, even if is not like enthused by your dreams, is at least interested Mm. in them, is at least excited about them, or, you know, is at least um, encouraging. Like that's that's exciting. Um, Because, you know, everyone's busy and everyone has a thing in their lives, but, but... to take to make the effort, to um, to make the effort to make you feel like your dreams are as important as the other one is such a gift, and um, I have been very blessed to have that.
1: You know, I find even even wherever wherever you are in your relationship, obviously you and Nick lead extremely busy lives. Uh, you know, my wife and I lead busy lives, and I feel even if someone's not in the entertainment industry or the media industry everyone feels like they live busy lives. What does support look like when two people are busy, driven, and ambitious? Because you obviously have it, you're speaking about it right now and it's beautiful. What does that actually look like in a real practical sense? Obviously the last six months or the last 12 months have been different, but in reality, what does that look like? Because I feel that maybe sometimes we have false expectations. Sometimes you want... You know, it's not natural that you can be at every show Nick does. It's not natural for him to be at every set you're doing. Same with me and my wife. Like, my wife can't be at every event I'm speaking at. I can't be at every uh, interview or something she's doing. What does support look like? What does love look like in a very real practical sense?
0: I think when it comes to support specifically, I think giving the other person this space Um to do what they're doing is very important. Without, you know, them feeling like, oh my, like for example, I'm here in London for a year right now, and Nick is filming in LA, um, and I can't travel. But before the holidays, he made sure he was here for two months to settle me in, you know, um, to make sure that the house was all set up and everything was sorted, and we were together for the holidays. That's because he was free um, at the end of the month. And that support, um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be large. It doesn't have to be, uh, um, you know, a big expression of, I don't know, love and or big gifts. It's not. It's, it's about giving space. It's about giving freedom. It's about appreciation. And I find this one thing really mm-hmm. helpful. Um, I always think about when, you know he's busy or he's having a crazy day, which he does for me as well, which is amazing. And everyone can follow this and it's super easy. Um, Is to think about how can I make that person's day Mm. easier? Just like, and that's such a lovely, loving thing. Just sometimes I'm, you know, back to back, especially when I was doing promo I was doing like 20 interviews and suddenly there'd be like a really nice cocktail that would come in in the evening or suddenly there'd be a really nice like cup of coffee or you know something to eat for me that would come in and it's just like so sweet to think about that or if I'm sitting outside you know he will bring a blanket and put it it's just being thoughtful and aware mm. about your person and you know that's the greatest form of love is showing it without really asking yeah, for it.
1: That's such a great piece of advice. I love that. To be, you, you said to be thoughtfully aware. And I think that's, that's so true. And and the beautiful thing about everything you just said is that it's, it's free, it's cheap, it's small, it's simple, as in it's, it's accessible to everyone. And it's the yeah, best, best Yeah, it's the yeah, best it's Yeah. When gift. when you feel like someone's in tune with you and and your emotions and how you feel how you might be tired or how you might be sleepy or how you might be cold, like those small things when you feel someone's aware. And, and I love that piece of advice. I think it's something that everyone's definitely learned more about in the pandemic where, where we're exposed to each other. Tell, tell me a bit about the, the title Unfinished because I obviously it leads to your determined, ambitious voice, but what other parts of your growth Uh, maybe internally, personally, do you feel you're unfinished on or working on?
0: I mean, so much. I've just about, you know, I'm in my 30s and this decade has been amazing because um, I've just, you know, found my strength, I think, as a woman. And um, what I'm looking forward to going forward is I'm very nascent in my career in America right now. It's just been five years since I've, started working here, I just about have done my first, you know, leading feature film. I've just about done my first dramatic part here. Um, I wanna be able to build, you know, the kind of career that I had the good fortune of building in another amazing industry um, in India. I've done such a variety of roles there, worked with the best filmmakers, best actors. I wanna be able to have that experience here. So that I'm, I'm like, my artistic side, now that I've started on this journey in this part of the world is peaked to to be able to do that as well. As a producer, I want to be able to create um, a lot more South Asian content in Hollywood. Mm. I just, I didn't see enough parts for myself. I didn't see enough of it on TV and considering um, how large the South Asian population is in around the world and how English speaking we are. You know, English language entertainment should be reflecting that. So, I want to be able to tell stories um, in India as well and as here. Um, I want to build as an entrepreneur. It's something I didn't do, um, you know, up, up until now because I was building my acting career so much. So, you know, founding my own brand, um, investing in tech, I find that really fascinating. Um, my philanthropy. I want to be able to set up my foundation really well. Um, My work with UNICEF. Um, I've just about moved into our new house um, after almost 10 to 15 years of living in rentals or hotel rooms, you know, because I always just kept moving. I was so nomadic. Um, I'm looking forward to, you know, watching the trees grow in my garden.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Watching watching trees grow is great. I love that. You're... you're (laughs) That's brilliant. I hearing you hearing you say that. Uh, I, I love hearing you talk about the South Asian storytelling. Like obviously, that that relates very strongly to me and my roots growing up in London as well, where I think we have an incredibly strong South Asian community. Where you are right now, where I was born and raised, and I definitely felt this. Yeah, lack of lack of representation, lack of the ability to to dream, lack of in opportunity, a, lack of opportunity to dream in a certain way. And you know, my my career has been totally random, but it's and and you know, I'm doing something today that I would never have imagined even knowing it existing.
0: But see, even that, you and I, two South Asians sitting in these boxes and talking about the fact that the careers that we are thriving in that we have worked so hard to make was never in our minds was never a possibility but I would have never dreamed about it because it wasn't in my realm of dreaming but that's not how it should be mm-hmm. considering the we're one-fifth of the world's population. We're huge, we're everywhere, okay? And I think, and it it shouldn't be so hard for me to, you know, come into an industry and say, I want an opportunity Mm -hmm. and for people to be like, oh, well, we're going to have to create that now, won't we? (laughs) (laughs) Why? We've existed for a really long time, (laughs) you know? It's the irony of it is so amusing, but sad at the same time.
1: Yeah, no, that resonates very strongly with me because... I didn't even know any careers existed and 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 I when I say this I I don't say it lightly I genuinely didn't believe careers existed out of, outside of medicine uh, engineering and business like I didn't really know Me neither. I didn't know that you could have a successful career in anything else Uh, And me neither. At
0: seventeen, when I was, it was a fluke why I got got into the Miss India pageant, and that kind of kickstarted everything for me. But I wanted to be an engineer because those were the options: doctor, engineer, lawyer. Yeah. And you know, if you come from an academic family of or failure, (laughs) um, if you come from an academic family, or you know, our our parents are immigrants, and our parents, like my parents, even in India, were you know building their businesses for the first time. It wasn't inherited from them. So they also were surviving. And I think it's that survival instinct that sort of pushed them to put the aspirations that they knew best, mm. you know, on their kids. Yeah, Like, th- this is the best job. You'll always make money. You will be stable. Yes. You know, yeah. but also the internet sort of changed our, um, for sure. I think, our generation. The, the fact that the internet made the world such a small place, which is another big reason why we should see so much more representation is because we are catering to the whole world yeah. now.
1: Definitely, definitely. I, I, you're reminding me of a few years ago, I before I actually started doing what I do today, I went to a, a presenter training day run by the BBC in London at Pinewood Studios. I'm sure you know it or have seen it. And we went to this studios and it was an ethnic minority TV training day. So it was only for ethnic minorities. So I went into this room and there were just five brown and black people in there. That was it. And it was a free training session on presenting and seeing if you had the skills to be in media. And then I remember at the end of it saying like, oh, you know, like, is there any opportunity? Where do we? And they were like, "No, no, no, there are no opportunities." And I was like, "What? You called us all here to to train us to tell us there are no opportunities?" And they were like, "Oh, but you can start a YouTube channel." And that's that's you know what you're saying about social media is so true that it, it was so hard to find an entry point without being able to create your own community. And and I think I love the way the world's gone because now it's allowed each and every single one of us to create a community around what we care about. And that's what I wanted to ask you, that today you're an entrepreneur, you're an actor, you're a producer, you have your own production company. How do you define Priyanka Chopra Jonas's purpose that kind of cascades into all those areas? Like, Like, what do you see as your purpose in the work that you're doing? Because to me, it seems it's always been driven by purpose.
0: It definitely has. It's always to evolve. I feel like my purpose is to find the next thing that I can do the next new thing, the next um, thing that I can push the envelope on or the next thing where I can push the goalpost. I want to do something, you know, different. That's not But I've always been driven to, you know, and that doesn't mean every choice is that, but that's the eventual big picture purpose, you know, to be able to sort of, I've I've been given such an incredible opportunity um, from the beginning of my career. You know, I it was. I don't take that lightly um, to be... There are so many people around the world that are probably more talented than me, probably more um, deserving than me. But, you know, the sum of the opportunities I chose is the reason why I'm here today. And I don't take that for granted at all. Um, and that's my purpose, is to make sure that, you know, every single day is spent with a pursuit of excellence in... Um, every single choice that I make.
1: What, what, are, what are three truths that you live by? If you had to define three things that you always live by, that you don't negotiate with, that, you, that guide you, that guide your decisions and guide your life when you're looking at those projects. As you said, you always want to find that next thing that you're going to break through and that you don't want to be scared of trying new things. What are some of those?
0: If it resonates with me, like if I read something and I'm moved by it, like The White Tiger, for example, I'd read the book and mm. it really like there, you know, some books you just remember always because they were such a vivid journey. And The White Tiger mm-hmm. was one of those for me. It was such a vivid journey. And um, I, when I read that it was being adapted, I chased it, I went after it, and I was like, I need to be, a, I need to do this, I need to be a part of it because it moved me. It was a story that I feel like needs to be told. It's topical. It's entertaining. Um, you know, it's it's based on a universal theme of the haves and the have-nots. You know, that exist everywhere. So, I think like that. I feel is my purpose to be able to be moved by the things that I choose to align with, and I think also um, for it to be a growth for me you know for it to be mm. for it to be taking me to the next step i don't like to stay in the same place for a very long time do the same yeah. kind of thing for a very long time i want to go to the next thing what is what is better and and our, my job sort of lends me to be able to do that because it's very mm. transitory there's no you know you don't know where your next job is or where your next check comes from or anything right so yeah <clears throat> It it allows me to pick and choose what I think is the next step, but those two things are very important. I think
1: those are great truths. Those are great truths, and I think uh, they they come across in your book when you kind of see like how has this person had like ten careers, you know, and in a good way, in a, in in a, in a strong sense of being able to find that. and And I wonder, obviously, you've played so many roles and studied so many characters in your life. Was writing this book almost like studying your own self as a character in terms of, like, the role you played?
0: (laughs) Um, So the reflection of this book is sort of me now, you know, talking to my younger me growing up. So I comment on myself and stuff. I'm like, come on, you know, don't don't do note to self. I have a lot of notes to self in the book. So sort of a commentary on that. But I think... I wasn't examining myself as a character because I think I, I was sort of going along with my journey all over again. I was experiencing Mm. my journey all over again. I didn't have to create anything. I just had to remember it as vividly as I could. Um, And I don't know. I hope I got everything right. I've tried (laughs) to, but memory is a funny thing. Um, and I've, you know, I, I just, I experienced it. So it was almost like, you know, when you're in a train and you're looking outside and, you know, the world is sort of moving by or in a car yeah. looking outside and the world is moving by. That's how I felt when I was writing the book.
1: Yeah, you share this beautiful quote in chapter eight that really stuck with me. I've never, I've never read this one before and I, I absolutely love discovering writers and thoughts. So thank you for introducing me to this. It says, it's, it's from Letters to a Young Poet uh, and it says, be patient, toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. And and I thought the selection of that that quote, it, it really spoke to me. How do you balance your drive and what's next with that passion, sorry, with that patience and with that approach? Because often it can feel like you know, it's like you're trying to find that next thing, trying to grow and evolve, but but you're also beautifully speaking about patience.
0: Well, I bifurcated. I'm not patient in my job, but I'm patient <laughs> as a person. And my job doesn't make me. Um yeah. it's not I'm my job is not my whole, you know? Um mm. and this is again something I didn't know. Earlier, I've grown into understanding this. My younger self probably wouldn't. My, my 20s, I didn't know this. But um, I've bifurcated very clearly. You know, my professional life is my professional life. My personal life is my personal life. They meet in the middle sometimes because I'm a public person. But I still have an immense part of me that's not for public consumption. And it's not um, for anyone else but me. So um, that, that side of me is patient. That side of me has become you know, um, calmer, um, a little bit more having, um, you know, stable, maybe having my feet on the ground a little bit. But my professional self is still in a tizzy. I'm impatient. I want the next thing right now. I wake up in the morning thinking about my entire day and how I'm going to achieve every single thing at zero to 60. Um, And that works for that girl. It doesn't work for this girl. And it took a lot of introspection for me to get here, actually. In that chapter, I actually talk about that journey of getting to that place um, because I wasn't there. And a lot of my professional attitude, which was, you know, I I am going to do everything I can to make this the best. I took a lot of the onus of life upon myself as well, and it hurt me. And And I didn't need to take the responsibility of life life happens and we've kind of got to navigate it every single day and you know live it for being on the right side of the truth and being a good person and you know having joy in the day because life is a gift and you know it needs to be celebrated and so my my personal side of that pre is real chill and loves life and um but the other girl she's she's crazy <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a fantastic distinction and and I I I love that I'm so glad that you shared that with us that's such a great way of of helping people understand how two seemingly opposite ideas can coexist and I think we often feel like we have to choose like you're either driven or you're calm you're either ambitious or you're you know, conscious and aware. And I've I'm so happy you said that because I I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's fun letting two ideas collide and live within the same space in person. And I so, think it's
0: natural as well. It is you natural. Know? Dichotomies are the most consistent things you'll see around. Nobody's one thing. No emotion is a singular emotion. You yes. are at any given moment, and that's an actor thing, I guess. When you're you're playing a character you have to think about everything that character is playing. You can't just Mm -hmm. be like, oh, this is an angry scene. I'm going to just be angry and yell my (laughs) eyes out. You know, yell my uh, whatever, throat out. You're not, that's not a good actor. You're not even scratching beneath the surface. The Mm -hmm. actor who thinks about, oh my gosh, I'm getting late or I have to have this conversation. It's also cold and I'm I'm like mad about whatever last week, my job, I got fired. You've got to think about all of those elements. So in the same way, in life, we never have to choose one thing. So that we need to take that pressure off of our backs mm. that you don't have to be on one solitary journey. You can choose to be on any journey at any time. You can choose to feel, as long as you take the pressure. We put too much pressure on ourselves to function. We create boxes and glass ceilings for ourselves because we're like, oh, this is the only way I can be and that's how you are successful. There's no black or white in the world.
1: Everyone lives in greys. Thank you so much for sharing that passionately. I could I could feel your feel your passion just like flying through the screen. You're like everyone who's listening and watching. This is just, you know, straight it's beautiful. It's it's fantastic. Brianka, you've been so kind with your and generous with your time. We end every podcast with two segments. These segments are called Fill in the Blank and the Fast 5. Uh the Fill in the Blank is a fill in the blank round uh, very aware and then I'll introduce the Fast 5 later. So If you're ready, this is your fill in the blank. Okay, Okay. so the hardest part about my job is? The hours. 2020 gave me a new perspective on? Creativity.
0: Yeah, I just feel because I'm, it gave me a sense of balance. I became a lot more creative, I think. Mm.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That stillness, that clarity, that slow down for once. The
0: um, luxury of time, which Mm -hmm. I never Mm -hmm. have. Yeah, Um, and I've never chosen. (laughs) This forced, (laughs) this forced time was very helpful.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Uh, My power comes from my family. Working hard makes me feel fulfilled. Storytelling is a joy, and my dogs are
0: my world.
1: I love it. Okay, this is your final five. So questions can be one word to one sentence maximum. You you did extremely well on the fill in the blank. Uh, so these are one word to one sentence maximum. Okay. Uh, who do you go to for their opinion about your work? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> great. Great answer. I love it. I love I it. I let the people decide. <laughs> you know... What, one of my favorite things about you over the years is just how straight talking you are and and uh, and obviously my intention is, has only been positive towards you but i've loved watching your interviews where someone asks tries to ask just an awkward irrelevant question and and you always just give them the best <laughs> answer like you yeah it's just it's so fun to watch it's so fun <laughs> thank uh, you and, I haven't. I haven't been able to be on the other end of it, thankfully. But but uh, it's it's great. It's great. Okay. Uh, what's the best piece of advice you ever received?
0: Mm, to have courage of conviction. Um, my mom said that to me when I was very young. She said, if you're going to tell the truth or if you're going to tell a lie, just know that um, you know whatever you do, you have to stand by it. The good, the bad, the ugly. It's all yours.
1: Uh, what's the worst advice you've ever received?
0: I don't retain bad advice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> great answer. That's that's a great answer. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It makes perfect sense. Why would why would you remember it?
0: It just I don't have the place in my brain for it. There's too many other things
1: floating around. Uh, question number four: What's something that you know to be true for you, but that other people may disagree on? So something that you're confident is true, but other people may not understand it fully
0: that I'm actually like you a monk <laughs> people won't believe it because most people even my closest family would be like you no," because I'm always like in a tizzy but I'm actually inherently rather close close to monk not really actually
1: <laughs> I love it. No, I love it. That's great. I, I, that, that was the whole reason why I was encouraging people to have a monk mindset, that anyone in the world can, can have that. Yeah. So I, I love hearing that. That's, that's beautiful. You don't, have to, you don't have to live like a monk to think like a monk. So totally. I'm glad. That, that's, that's great. Okay, fifth and final question. Uh, if you could make one law in the world that everyone had to follow, what would it be? <clears throat> no
0: one goes hungry is my law it's a, it's the worst thing to see um yeah if we could change just that it would really change a lot of
1: that's such things. a great law we've never had anyone say that before so i'm really i'm really happy you shared that and uh i i couldn't agree more i've i've as a monk, we worked on several food distribution programs in India where I was, and it was it was so meaningful to see, but there's so much work that needs to be done in that space all across but the world. all over the world. Oh yeah, all gosh, over the world. Everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: That's like such a basic right and need for a human being to just live. And, you know, I've done, obviously coming from having grown up in India, but also I've worked with, kids around the world with UNICEF and it's just it's it's like that's gotta change a hungry child is it's just it's not right it's not natural
1: and and yeah and, and it's like you know we talk about as we were talking about the dreams and the ambitions but it all starts with food and water and you know, it starts with those basic necessities to yeah. help that person. So that's that's a beautiful answer. And we
0: also as privileged society have become very desensitized yeah. to it, you know. You drive past homeless shelter, you're not thinking about it. And I'm not saying that, you know, each person needs to empty their wallets and like make a difference to the world. I think, <clears throat> yes, it is the responsibility of the large earners, definitely, of, you know, the billionaires of the world um, because in a big way. But I think also the responsibility of each one of us to just do whatever mm. we can, you know, and that doesn't have to be large. It could be just kindness, compassion, change someone's life, just look around you, your neighborhood, just that, that itself will mm. be helpful. You know, my, I was, as a kid, my mom told me, no matter how badly off you are, how bad your circumstances are, mm. someone's worse off than you. And that's just the truth of
1: yeah. the world. I love how much you remember and quote your parents. It's such a beautiful thing because it it shows you the power of good parenting and uh, beautiful messaging from a young age. It really because is. It's, it's such a special thing. So, I think they also repeated themselves a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. They just kept saying the same thing every birthday. Same. Every birthday. Same thing.
0: I was like, all right, I get it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the repetition worked it worked the repetition <laughs> yeah worked. I wrote a book about them yeah, so. I love it yeah yeah. the repetition works so much that if you want to be parented by Priyanka Chopra Jonas's parents that's this is what's in the book no please go and grab a copy we're putting the link everywhere for Unfinished a memoir by Priyanka Chopra Jonas uh, go and grab the book go and read it go and share it uh, read it together start a book club around it we're going to make this uh, one of our book club picks uh, for the On Purpose community. So I'll be sharing that with all of you and all the notes as I'm reading through it. Uh, recommend that you do the same. Priyanka, I'm so grateful for your time, your generous time uh, for staying up with us. I know you've got lots more of these to do. Uh, and I look forward to meeting you very soon. So thank you so much. Is there, is there anything you want to share last with everyone? No, I just want to say this
0: was so nice, Jay. It was such a lovely conversation. I always knew it was going to be, but it's your you're just insightful and um i can see why you know you, you do what you do so well and um more power to you you know keep pushing it
1: thank you <laughs> thank you so much it's such a pleasure and uh yeah all the best for the rest of your interviews and the rest of the tour and uh yeah look forward to speaking to you soon okay stay safe chat soon Hey guys, this is Jay again. Just a few more quick things before you leave. I know we try to focus on the good every day and I want to make that easier for you. Would you like to get a short email from me every week that gives you an extra dose of positivity? Weekly Wisdom is my newsletter where I jot down whatever's on my mind that I think may uplift your week. Basically, little bits of goodness that are going to improve your well-being. The short newsletter is all about growth and sending positivity straight to your inbox. Read it with a cup of tea, forward it to a friend, and let these words brighten your day. To sign up, just go to jshetty.me and drop your email in the pop-up. If you have trouble finding it, just scroll to the very bottom of the page and you'll see the sign-up. Thank you so much and I hope you enjoy my weekly wisdom newsletter.